Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. And we don't know who's talking. <laughs> so I you know, asked Michael Graves to uh, lead the call because I'm having some weird internet problems. But I did want to introduce Mike Oath, who's the CEO of Onsip. And Onsip has been friends with us since the beginning. In fact, I had an, I had an Onsip account when it was Junction and for years when it was Junction. Hello, Mike. Hello. How are you? Everything is good. And I was uh, really pleased to be able to participate, as Michael did, uh, with uh, on, on some of your Blab presentations. Yeah. Those were a lot of fun. You, you guys are doing a great job. Oh, thank you. We've been together for a while, and Michael and I were just looking at the new interface, and we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, I'll, I'll let Michael uh, introduce our topic and everything for today. I'm a traditionalist, uh, being a certain age, I guess, and I really like hardware. But you guys have a lot of stuff that's not hardware about what you do. And yeah. so with that, I think I'd just like to let you fill me in on what I don't know, or as as Kai Rizdal would say, make me smart. <laughs> um, so so uh, my ONSIP is going away, and yeah. there's something new. And then there's a Slack thing. And how did all this come to pass? You know, what what brings all this about? Probably the, the biggest thing was our, uh, our commitment to WebRTC. So I, I'm, I'm sure you and, and most of the audience knows, but, but WebRTC was the HTML5 spec that allows the browser to talk directly to the multimedia of your laptop. So pr- prior to HTML5, if you wanted access to speaker uh, microphone, uh, video camera, you had to uh, create a Java application. And so the browser would talk to Java, Java would talk to the media, and or Flash, uh, it could be Flash as well. But before any of that would happen, the visitor to the website would have to download uh, this Java code or this Flash code to make that happen. HTML5 came along, uh, game changer, uh, with WebRTC, and WebRTC now gives the browser direct access to the media on your laptop, desktop, whatever, uh, without any software to download. So we we saw that uh, pretty immediately as a way to make voice and video phone calls uh, directly through a browser. And so we started working pretty much right away uh, on uh, adding SIP as a protocol to WebRTC. So WebRTC, like I said, allows you to have access to the media, but there's nothing specific in WebRTC uh, about the protocol that's used for setting up and tearing down calls and negotiating codecs and all that. Uh, This is in the name. We're pretty good with SIP. So we thought that SIP would be a really great candidate as the call control for WebRTC. So we went about uh, creating a uh, JavaScript library that allows you to use SIP as the uh, communications protocol for WebRTC. Uh, we, we did that and then we open sourced it. And that's out there as sip.js. Uh, great open source library. 
and it allows you to do a call setup, call teardown. And that's not too bad uh, if you were going to write that yourself or either in SIP or some other protocol or if you wanted to write your own protocol, that's fine. Uh, but uh, it, it's when you want to put a call on hold, when you want to transfer a call, make a three-way call, that's when uh, all that communication starts to get really, really tricky. Uh, and all of that is is currently in SIPJS and, and it's out there and it's uh, freely available. So it's fun. It's, it's, it's our first, we, we've used a lot of open source in our, in our history. Uh, it's our first uh, open source project that, that we've run and it's, it, it's been great. Uh, I'm on the mailing lists for uh, when, when developers submit questions and, and want new features and so forth. So it's, it's fun to be uh, actively involved in a uh, open source project. Uh, but that was it. So we took what used to be my ONSIP, which is kind of the user uh, interface into the ONSIP uh, platform, and we turned that into what we're calling the ONSIP app or app.onsip.com. And uh, a lot of the same functionality uh, with uh, the, the ability to see everybody else in your organization, their current call status, uh, be able to set up calls be- between people in your organization and or just dial out to the PSDN, uh, the ability to receive calls right there in your browser. And then the, the news this week is the Slack integration. Uh, so had the ability to, to text chat each other from within the Onsip app. But uh, now you'll have the ability to uh, uh, for those uh, chats to be mirrored over in the in a Slack app or, and actually use the Slack API in those chats. Um, and then over in the, uh, and so that's the integration with the Onsip app. And then over in Slack, the ability to put in some, uh, a, a couple, uh, starting out with a couple simple slash commands. So slash Onsip and then status and, and get the status, the, the current operational status of uh, the Onsip system, things like that. So that's, that's kind of where, uh, briefly where we moved and, and how and why we moved from, from my Onsip over to the Onsip app. And then, yeah, we we wanted to have that chat integration. We we wanted to build our own chat, and you know it, it's hard to be all things to all people. So we we looked around, best of breed. Uh, Slack had a really nice integration API. Like it, it's it's going to be easier to integrate Slack into our app than to go and build a whole uh, chat uh, service ourselves. So we went down that road instead. That's it's very interesting. Um, what what echo echo. Um, what percentage of the customer, what kind of uptake do you see on, on the uh, browser-based calling just in general, whether it be the old version or the new version? Is it is it widespread or is it sort of special cases, special verticals? I haven't seen it any in any special verticals. Uh, and it's it's I, I know the uptake in the Onsip app itself has been great. Uh, I am, but I'm I am not sure whether they're using it just as a uh, a way to see the status of everyone, kind of like a, a, a visual BLF for example, or if they're actually using it to, to call. I know for us internally uh, in in our support department, which is mostly here in, in this office, which is the just outside of Philly office, um, we kind of switched over to using that as opposed to the polycom on the on the desk. Now, I still, for the most part, use the polycom on the desk. I like picking up a receiver, 
know, the whole thing. Uh, but most of the people here have USB headsets, wireless USB headsets like yours. Uh, you can get up, walk around, um, mute it, uh, and that then connected directly to the laptop. In between calls, switch over to listening to music or whatever. It's uh, they hear internally completely voluntarily they've really switched over to the uh, uh, to the web-based calling and have you seen with that an accompanying increase in the use of video while calling as well mm, definitely definitely yeah um, <laughs> the other day uh, I took a sales call and so we have a we have a button on our website where you can uh, so uh, so unlike Skype so if you, if you and I wanted to have a Skype call or put a Skype button, it, both sides have to be Skype users. Um, but we allow one side just to be a, a, a random visitor to the website. The other side has to has to be on onset. So we have a button on our website that uh, you can click and, and video call either into sales or to support. Great. Uh, the other morning, uh, I had my laptop out and I was doing email. It was a little bit after eight in the morning and a call came in uh, to the sales side. I'm like, I don't think any sales guys are around. Let me just answer it real quick. And I was I was in boxers, and video <laughs> popped up. Like, oh wait, I forgot. <laughs> so I answered it on the web-based phone on my laptop, and uh, but the the other side didn't have video going, so I was able to mute my video, and we had a perfectly fine sales call, and uh, it went really well. But I, I'm not in the mentality of uh, oh wait, I need to be video ready. <laughs> when I when I answer these calls. That's really interesting because it's true. And um, in a past gig, I used to travel a lot, go out to customer sites and was always, you know, dressed in business formal, if you will, business casual, sure. business yeah. formal. And I was sort of joking to myself that uh, since then, though, you know, business casual for me is more like beach casual for some people. So uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and you're going to do a video call, you know, things like, you know, uh, hair, beard, uh, shaving, and all this. You got, you got to, you got to me. Um, which is, you know, it, it comes interesting when if you're doing a lot of people working from home and and uh, you know, distributed right. and stuff like that. So, um, interesting question. Then uh, this is my first time playing with um, playing with the app dot onset, uh, mm -hmm. and it's all it all seems pretty intuitive. One of the things that I've got hooked up just for fun into my onsip account. And mm -hmm. and uh, by the way, echoing Randy's sentiment, uh, our our account with you guys predates Onsip as a brand, <laughs> right? Um, right. And um, we were just using you for asterisk termination in the early days. But yeah. I'm such a bad asterisk admin, and you guys were so reliable that I got rid of the asterisk and just sort of <laughs> forward. Um, but I have some surveillance cameras hooked up to you. Um, we don't have a lot of them. Um, you can sort of keep a, a look on one side of the... They're SIP-capable surveillance cameras, but they do H.264. I thought, is all the browser-based stuff, is that all VPA-based, or is there any facility to handle H.264? That's a really good question. On well, the browser-based case. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. And, and the, the interesting thing is we uh, just recently, and, and it's... It's continuing this week. We're we're switching all of our um, media over to something called uh, the RTP engine. Uh, so it used to be an RTP proxy, and everything would get kind of 
proxy together, but we're switching everything over to an RTP engine. One of the, the benefits of that is that it immediately gave us the ability to call from a Bria video phone into the uh, OnSIP app. So I'm just trying to remember the video protocol I was, because I, I actually did it myself. So what, what video protocols does the Bria app support? Hang on, um, we can that up. We, we, we can do yeah. that. Um, so my my guess is with our new uh, RT switch over to the RTP engine um, that it would it would just work. But um, and that's in progress. You say uh, that is is done for calling. What's in progress now is different apps um, switching the RTP engine on for uh, uh, things like a, we have an app called the Inbound Bridge nine one. So we're using the RTP proxy, and we're we're slowly switching everything over to the RTP bridge or to to RTP engine. All right, let's see. Codex. I'm not seeing it at the moment, but I could have something uh, askew at at my end as well. Um, I just think one of the things that's been really handy, just on the pure SIP side, is uh, if you have you know BBX phones or or Grandstream GXVs, the ability to have yeah. dial something and have the, the camera view come up. It's great if you're answering the door remotely, right? Which is awesome. Right, right. You guys are, exactly. You're, you're transparent to it, but you're at the center of it. So it's wonderful. Um, yeah. Slack. Um, Slack's, Slack's interesting. Um, Slack themselves do some WebRTC-based stuff. Does that come into play at all? Yeah, so within the Slack app, uh, you can you can place a phone call um, between between users, which is uh, which is kind of cool. Um, the um, and they have a, a handful. I, I'd say four, maybe five voice partners. So that's that's kind of next on our list is to be one of the one of the voice partners for Slack. Now you you don't need that within the app. Obviously, it's it's got the uh, phone built in, but so it's kind of taking that phone and putting it over inside the Slack app as well. So you'd have a kind of phone capable and capabilities in, in both. But one of our uh, one of our Slack our uh, Slack app the the slash onsip um, command. One of the commands is to um, uh, set up a call string, and then you can send that call string either as a Slack or wherever you click on that. You I could I could send it to you. You could click on it in any Firefox or Chrome browser, and you'd uh, you'd be calling me on either my um, on whichever phone I'm on, whether I'm on the uh, Onsip app or at my uh, Polycom desk phone. So we kind of integrated it on the calling side with a link, but I'd like it to the the next goal is to uh, actually have a, a link up in that uh, phone icon. Very cool. Are there any particular success stories in in the the browser based adoption? Are there any you know customers you can point to who have? I'm thinking that this is sort of like a natural thing for uh, smaller call centers, distributed call centers, this kind of stuff. But yeah, um, I. I I know at the at the end of the la- end of the year last year there was a uh, public uh, television station in Detroit that set up a whole temporary call center using just browsers. So they had um, they had a bunch of laptops. Uh, what they didn't have were a bunch of Polycom, Grandstream phones sitting around. They did have laptops and internet connections. So with that, they were able to bring in a whole bunch of volunteers, set up a temporary call center uh, with just the the web browser with the onsip app and 
set up, have their have their call in uh, marathon, and then tear it all down, uh, log everybody out. So uh, that's pretty cool. We in our press release we had a couple different uh, companies that uh, talked about you know being already using the OnSIP app for internal communications and and liking the ability to add to not have to switch windows. So they're in the OnSIP app and that's handling. So getting closer and closer to real unified communications. So in the OnSIP app, making and receiving phone calls and uh, getting their Slack communications uh, all in the same window. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, press releases. Gee, those are nice. I um, <laughs> pay attention to them, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, While you know, you're reading that, Michael, uh, if you jump in for a second, I just wanted to um, mention to Mike that it's not apparently obvious to people maybe who are listening to what we're talking about now, uh, what we do with, with OnSIP. And uh, there are many things you can do just with the, the thing that has existed for several years. And one of them is we have a DID from Voxbone that it has a bunch of worldwide call-ins. And on the admin console, uh, I can route those to different ZipDX I guess I can route them anywhere, but more importantly, there's all kinds of applications that work with this. And um, one of them is uh, uh, time of day, open hours. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the name of it, but that, that's what it does. Yeah. Our so, rules, yeah. Right. So you can do that. You can, um, I'm now, I hope I'm not going on a ledge here, but I think you can do the, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, round Robin, which is to ring different numbers one after the other and so on. So there's all of that too. I mean, we're not just talking about the latest and greatest WebRTC stuff here. There's also right. all of the basic functionality. And we use it here at the UC. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it kind of goes along with the, with the company name, with, with OnSIP. Every part of uh, the, your OnSIP PBX has a SIP address. So that's, that's every user, every phone number, every voicemail box. Uh, and then, so if you take a, a service like Voxbone, which is also very SIP aware, you can take a Voxbone phone number and point it directly into OnSIP and, and hit your internal PBX wherever you want because every piece has its own SIP address. So it's right. a, yeah, the, the integration at that SIP level is kind of nice. And I, although I mentioned Voxbone because they work with us, uh, obviously OnSIP has plenty of DIDs if you want one or more. Well, yeah. well the Voxbone yeah. is great. We use them ourselves for international. Yeah. Yeah, they're a great international inbound carrier. Yeah, not only that, but uh, you know anybody who's anybody who's on OnSIP, who's who's connected to OnSIP, uh, can in fact go SIP into ZipDX and and do HD voice, which is a, sort of one of our hallmarks. So it's yep. been it's been quite good, and and WebRTC just sort of extends all of that. Um, a, another question, sort of taking things to the side. Um, you reintroduced, uh, well, there's been a sort of, maybe I need some explaining. Uh, there was Get on SIP, which is sort of a free SIP uh, mm-hmm. WebRTC based thing. Um, right. That, that's been around for a while, but you, you reintroduced just recently this, this free tier for on net calls. Um, what, what, right. what motivates that? Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's really kind of two things. One, uh, and, and, with with get on sip as as well uh we, we wanted to give back to the community uh you know like i said we're we use a lot of open source we give back to the open source community uh we 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 helped google when in android with with part of their and that's that's more of a badge of honor that that we found an issue in sip we gave it to android and google and they actually said oh yeah that's a real issue thanks for the fix so that was cool but um free switch and and others where we, we constantly give uh if if we you know services that 
that we use, software, um, uh, open source software that we use. If we find something, it's an enhancement, we, we give back to that community. And so Git on SIP was, uh, was definitely a, a part of the motivation was to, to, to give back and, and you know, just promote SIP in general and give out free SIP addresses. Uh, the other side of it was uh, uh, great load testing. Uh, we can, to, to us, get on SIP looks like one ginormous uh, PBX. So to us, it looks like one PBX with over 100,000 subscribers in it and you know thousands to, to multiple thousands uh, simultaneously registered users. So it's a, it's a really great proof of concept that the system that we have can scale pretty much infinitely um, both on just records in the database and simultaneous users. So, uh, it, it, you know, as a, as a development platform, it was, it, it was useful to us. Um, and so what we wanted to do was just I- increase that, that usefulness. So you can get a free SIP address. Everyone's address is, is at, uh, so username at, uh, get on Um, but it's kind of, kind of one at a time. There's no user management and we were seeing, Companies come in and, and register, boom, 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 a, b- a bunch of users all at the same time. So they're they're clearly trying to do some internal SIP communications. Well, let's you know let's 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 make this easier for them, uh, and let's give them a path to go from a, a free product and, and use that by all means. But if you want to take that and and roll it out and have it become your whole phone system, uh, give them an easier path to to do that. And so that's our new freemium product. Uh, the the big thing. So it's still free SIP addresses, um, still free for free forever. Uh, the the big change is you now have uh, user management, so you can go in and create your own domain, uh, acme.onsip.com, or you even have the ability to use your own domain. Uh, so if you have acme.com, your SIP address can be Mike at acme.com as well. Um, simple SRV record and and put that in the interface. But it gives you user uh, user management. So you can go in and put in all your users, give them extensions. Everyone gets a SIP address, obviously, but you can give them, a, uh, you can layer extensions as an alias on top of the SIP address uh, to make things even easier. Uh, so that was the kind of the, the goal behind the freemium product is to take what is a single uh, single SIP address and turn it into a way for a whole organization to come in and, and have free calling. And, and they all get access to the OnSIP app. So not only do you get web-based calling and, and free calling, but the, you get the status and you get chat and you get the Slack integration. You know, this is really, it's really cool because what you get in the free tier is, well, there are a lot of substantial businesses paying a lot of money to have that <laughs> just in general. And, and then, you know, because you do have to interact with the rest of the world to a degree, uh, you know, that's where, okay, there's a revenue stream for you guys in that gatewaying function. And, but right. the core of what you do, the, the, the stuff that, as you say, that stays on net on SIP is, um, is really compelling. Uh, yeah. And it's lack integration on top of it. Oh, there's someone, something coming up in IRS, IRS see yeah it's um and because we wrote our own software we don't have license uh agreements to anybody else so we can offer seats for for free which is kind of a game changer so really bringing you know uh, uh, unified communications and and uh uh you know unified communications as a service and really bringing it into the, the cloud era getting it out of the old telco era there's no there's no xsoft license involved 
That's great. Yeah. Nope. Nope. I don't know if you saw, Michael, uh, James just said something in IRC that uh, there was some discussion at Astrocon regarding Jeff Pulver uh, restarting free world dial-up service. Michael, if you probably remember that, I, I would guess. Oh, I do. Been around yeah. Been around <laughs> since then. And uh, James said, but actually, uh, this is true, OnSIP basically replicates that functionality with a lot more added on. So that's true yeah. with the free account. I wonder yeah. how many users onsip has relative to free will dial up in its heyday i mean, my number was five four two four five which wasn't extremely low but it was low i think i even had another digit no there were a lot of there were a lot of experimenters on but those were the crazy wild and crazy days too you remember that that was a big deal asterisk was a big deal and free will dial up was a big deal zoom forward to uh what 15 years later 12 15 years later uh, you know i mean there's there's 10, maybe 20 different services that are doing that. Google, you know, Grand Central and Google Voice came into yep. that. I mean, everybody's got something out there. Uh, interestingly enough, a junction which became OnSIP has been here all this time. I, I'm trying to think of somebody else who has. I remember uh, VoIPJet. Remember, uh, there's a bunch of other names that have disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming up on half a million users. Wow. Yeah, free world dial-up peaked at about 150,000, But it was the very first service um, that managed to scale asterisk big by using right. SIP Express router to, to front-end a, a, a matrix of different um, asterisk boxes underneath. Because uh, before then, um, we used to hit the, uh, the dreaded asterisk wall, didn't we? Right. There's between, what, 250, 350 uh, concurrent users, the whole thing. But of the 150,000 users of Free World Dial-Up, 149,500 of them were hams. Uh, <laughs> Michael Graves is the only one who was didn't have a license, I think. I got to tell you, I, I wonder, for all the users, I wonder how many concurrent calls they actually had up. You know, that would be an interesting thing. You guys... Mm -hmm. At onset, you you have I bet you have significant traffic at any given moment in time, whereas I think yeah. they were probably spotty. So, well, yeah. do you remember when when Jeff Pulver announced that they were offering free PSTN calls for Christmas? Belster and, and, and the whole whole FWD network just went into total meltdown because uh, I think half of Israel was trying to call the US. <laughs> using uh, using free world dial up, and uh, they only had one T one on the back end of it, and that limited the yeah limited the back when free calls mattered. So so I'm I'm um, gathering from that, uh, Mike, that you're using Camelia on the on the back end, or possibly SIP Express router. Have I misunderstood no. that? Oh, we have. Um, on our back end, uh, open open steps. Okay. Majority of the routing, uh, we have a couple different databases. We have a, a MySQL database, and that's from oh, data that's a little bit more static, uh, like registrations that hang around for a little bit longer. Uh, and then we use a, a Cassandra database, so that's the uh, Amazon database that does a really good job of uh, recovery. Um, that uh, gets the the thing with Cassandra is that it tries to be mostly right most of the time, which is a complete anathema for for databases. Um, but for 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 example, uh, you know we've got a New York data center and an LA data center. And you know, exchanging all the data. For the most part, the New York data center can operate completely by itself. Most of the, if you're connected to New York, you're going to be making your calls in and out of New York, and you're going to be calling other extensions that are in New York. But 
you, you, there are times when you know half of your company's in New York, half of your company's in LA. We do GeoDNS routing, so you connect to the data center that's closest to you, regardless of what domain you're in. Uh, so extension seven thousand and one could be connected to the LA data center. Extension 7002 can be connected to the New York data center and you need to call each other. And that's where Cassandra comes into play so that the both data centers know uh, where everybody is at, at all times. Um, but it's not, it's not, it, it's one of those things where it just needs to be mostly right most of the time. And Cassandra is really, really, really good at uh, doing tons and tons of transactions. So it came from the um, Amazon shopping cart. Uh, you know, in the middle of a shopping session, somebody crashes their browser, goes from one, uh, you know, one ISP to another ISP or whatever. Um, it, when they come back on, maybe that last thing that they put in their shopping cart isn't there, but everything else is. So the shopping cart is mostly right most of the time and uh, keeps the keeps the person shopping instead of that whole database record going going out the window. So it's 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 interesting. It's it's amazing, and our engineering team can talk about it a lot a lot more and a lot better than I can. But it's it's really interesting to see them use kind of the 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 right tool at the right place for the right job. So the MySQL for stuff that's got to be 100 right all the time um, and and in sync everywhere, and then Cassandra when you've got a little bit more uh, a little bit more leeway, a little bit more flexibility in it. So. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, it was just uh, James mentioning asterisk and and stuff reminded me that that you probably yeah. weren't using that and hadn't been using it for quite a while. I would have thought we do actually, we do. Okay. You know where it is uh, on uh, carrier gateways. It it just it, it worked when you have to when you don't have to do anything too crazy and you've got a, a limited number of. We know exactly how many on this pipe. We have uh, so many connections, so many simultaneous connections to uh, level three. That's fantastic, and so uh, OpenSips can can send those calls out to uh, uh, out to those edge uh, edge asterisk boxes, and DTM. You, you need the call to set up, tear down, and do DTMF asterisk. Perfect, right. um, and just total workhorse. And I uh, I haven't checked in a long time, but we are we're on the we're not much further past the version of asterisk than than the one that we had in two thousand five two thousand six. Yeah, 1.4, I bet. bet you any, yeah. 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 yeah, ain't broke, don't fix it. So, so that, that brings me to another question, which is how do you, how do you cope with the, the audio codex? Um, if you're doing WebRTC calls amongst themselves, then obviously they, do, they end up doing, doing Opus. But um, when you bridge out to the PSTN, what are, you, what are you using there? And how far back up the tree to the browser do you, do you push it? Yeah, yeah. So that's a good point. Um, and because that's another thing that asterisk uh, can can really start to slow asterisk down if you have to do do the transcoding. Uh, and we and we don't. So the asterisk because they talk to um, uh, because they only talk to the carriers and the carriers only do um, G711. Then that makes it that makes it easier. So we need to so. Just in front of those boxes, if it's something other than um, than ULAR or ALAW, we we transcode it there. Um, for everything else, for the most part, we're we are codec agnostic, uh, and we let the two endpoints uh, establish that call. So if the two endpoints um, they can they can even talk in a uh, completely proprietary protocol as long as the two endpoints support it. So if you want to do screen sharing over ONSIP, great, that'll work. Um, 
Do you not have to proxy that media, though, for other reasons that means you need to understand the codec? Nope. Only if it goes out to the PSTN. If it, if it stays on net anywhere, uh, the, the two endpoints uh, negotiate uh, codec themselves. And on top of that, if the two endpoints are behind the same network on the same LAN, we will tell that we will we will see that in real time, and we will tell the box at or the phone at one nine two one six eight dot one dot one oh five to send its media directly to one dot one oh seven and vice versa. It doesn't come all the way up to ONSIP and then back down to the other phone. So media will stay on the uh, on a local area network. I don't know if everyone does that, but not many people do. I have enjoyed slash suffered that from from the standpoint of of um, I, I I try a lot of IP phones, and uh, there are some that just don't anticipate that they expect that the media is going to be proxied, and their NAT traversal solutions are not sufficiently robust to uh, right. uh, point point to point um, in that fashion. Oftentimes, you lose media, and and I know Onsip has been wonderful in the last few years as I've been testing various different Opus capable hardware and software that, um, and in fact, um, yeah, there's just some interesting stuff happening. Um, Somebody, I won't name names, but somebody announced an Opus capable ATA this week. um, Which is kind of... Really? Yes. Why why can't you mention names? Well, because I'm trying to understand whether this is an actual piece of technology or just a piece of parent architecture. So, so I've been thinking about this because you mentioned it uh, on the chat a while back, and and I was thinking, why would you do that? And and obviously, you were thinking the same thing. Um, and the only thing I can come up with is it basically it saves people transcoding in the middle. Right. right. So it, it does that transcode free thing that's been a topic of conversation all along this sort of past HD voice and IPX and all of that. Right? Yeah, but it's more to it than that because you you then benefit from the the very robust nature of the Opus codec. So I mean, you saw the demonstration last year, Tim, where we were operating at 45% packet loss with uh, with Opus, and it was still fine. And you certainly can't do that with any other uh, codec that's widely available. That's presumably implementation, though. And, and that if it's just architecture, then the implementation may not be that robust. Yeah. And why can't you tell us who it is? is it because I'm waiting, for them to, I'm waiting for them. They, I, I, I posed them some questions. They're friends. I posed them some questions. They went off. To, they gave me an initial set of responses that were not satisfactory. They went off to cogitate about it for a while and asked their bigger brains. And I'm giving them the opportunity to come back and sort themselves out before we, we start uh, poking fun at them. Because well, that, like, that sounds, sounds horribly corporate. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> there, there's there's no point in slinging mud corporate. until there's a reason. Some sometimes yeah, people, just, yeah. So uh, in any event, um, to bring this back to Onsip, we like Opus, and Onsip does Opus, yeah. and we like Wideband, and Onsip does Wideband, and these are wonderful things. And just as easily as that. PBS station put up a pop-up call center using just browsers, they could have done that click-to-call on their website and bring you know customers in to talk about, or their audience members in to talk about things that were going on in programming or whatnot, and they could have done it with all of the quality of an FM radio station for very little money, and, and that's just awesome that you guys are able to... Yeah. Uh, Except, Michael, that the problem tends to be the problem that people don't have decent microphones. So the moment you go up to something as good as Opus, you start hearing the imperfections of, oh, Lord, they've got a bad microphone there. Whereas, you know, the kind of um, GSM quality calls kind of tend to lose the, that level of detail, and so you can't tell anymore. GSM being the best one to avoid. <laughs> GSM? Lord, it lowered the, the standard. These days, most of the mobile network operators, it just... 
totally work with MR Wideband. Yeah, so the quality um, on, on mobile now, uh, if you're running Volti or anything like that, is actually extremely good. And it's one of, um, uh, and most of the mobile network operators now are interworking, do, running the interconnections, um, exchanging traffic with um, MR, in, MR Wideband. So nobody wants to drop down to crappy old um, narrow band G711. Um, which is it's just ridiculous, really. In this, in this country, there's no peering over wideband. Uh, there is. Oh, there is, he said, um, <laughs> producing a, a, a phone. Well, I can demonstrate it. Should we do a dangerous demo? But, but not now because it's Mike's, Mike's show. Oh, wow. Who is doing it in the United States? Who is doing that in the United States? Do you guys do any IP-based peering? Mike, or is it all TDM? We early, early, early on, um, and John spent uh, John Reardon, our, our our CTO, spent so much time uh, doing least cost routing and going out and and looking to see if a phone number was was able to be connected via IP. I for, I'm I'm blanking on the name of that. Um, there were a couple different databases that you could hit. Um, but we we want uh, three or four second call setup times, and we were taking spending so much time going out looking to see if these phone numbers were were SIP capable. Um, that when they would inevitably fail and not be SIP capable, that we then send it over to the PSTN and still have three or four seconds. So, uh, unfortunately, we ended up uh, abandoning that. Um, but if it's if it's a true SIP address like the uh, like a SIP address for the um, uh, for a conference bridge or something like that, then then yeah, well that's basically IP peering. You can you can uh, both in and out of onSIP. You can call SIP addresses out. You can receive SIP addresses in. Uh, so total peering in in that sense. But no, if you if you call a phone number that's going out, it's going to hit an asterisk box and it's going to go out to notwithstanding. You know, Notwithstanding the fact that you know the major mobile carriers are all doing wideband on their networks, they're not peering. They're not allowing you to hit those networks no. uh, via a PSTN gateway. So, no. all right, go ahead, James. In, 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 make me smart. Enlighten us. Uh, with what? <laughs> you're going to tell us. You're going to tell us how we're how we're going to be able to do that 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 uh, wideband between mobile carriers. Yeah, I was asking him which carriers would support it. Actually, James, in the United um, States, well, actually, AT&T does it, and T-Mobile. Those are the two that I know about. So if you place a call from T-Mobile to AT&T, you'll get a wideband call? Depends where you are and and what radio access you're on. But if it's Volte at both ends, the answer is yes. Or Volte wow. or 3G. Wow. So yes. How exciting. I'll have to try that at some point. That, that must be brand new because we were talking to T-Mobile about getting traffic from them over IP. Yeah, but uh, who were you talking to at T-Mobile? Because there, there are lots of people to talk to at T-Mobile. And, uh, and if you talk to um, the standard interface person, you'll get the standard answer, which is the, the standard interface is G711 narrowband. Eight kilohertz. No, we were, we, were not, we were not going in through that side of the company. We were going in through through business services and a marketing, the marketing arm of the company. So and there, I, there was interest, but there was no action. So, so our, our experience, I mean, I'm sure that this is everybody else's experience, is that the internal div, uh, organizations within a carrier are the people who are least able to access any services within that carrier. Um, you know, they, they, they are the somehow the business units are, are the ones that have got the least chops at actually getting at the product. Um, in a way that somehow, I don't know, there's some sort of 
um, suicidal instinct in carriers where they, they really don't want to allow the good stuff out and certainly not make a profit with it. Yeah, you're right. It's all about control, isn't it? You know, I, I have to circle back to our guest here and say that we're talking to a CEO who is sort of uniquely capable to talk tech talk uh, at, at these levels, which I think is is uh, kind of incredible and commendable. And um, and, and the challenge is you know, clearly there are a bunch of us who would like to enjoy the kinds of things you offer, but we'd like to enjoy it extended out to our mobile phones and such like, which just plots a you know, profitable future for you. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I think think I I would like to kind of tip my hat to the fact that you guys have carried on doing something worthwhile and valuable and doing it well, um, whilst like everybody else has been swerving around doing crazy stuff and going broke or raising billions, uh, depending on who you talk to, and and right. and you guys have just kind of soldiered along doing good, reliable stuff and making incremental improvements and then bigger improvements uh, yeah. as and when. But I mean, I'm trying to think the first time I used your service must be, I was back here. So I'm guess 97 probably. Is that be right? That was no, uh, hey, so it, it, Yeah. So we started tronking in 04. So uh, in 97, I was, John, John Reardon and I were working for the, the second ISP in Manhattan for, um, uh, and, and that was Interport. Uh, so Panix was number one, and then Interport was number two. And then we ended up selling Interport to RCN, the cable company out of uh, Princeton. Uh, we sold that in around 99 and then did a couple of various things and then um, started Junction Networks with SIP trunking in 04 and then launched on SIP as a hosted PBX product in October of 06, more or less. So check the math. Tim. I'm going to have to do, do yes, I'm going to have to A, check the math, yeah. and B, check my email to work out where when <laughs> when this was. I'll, I'll be back when I've done that. All right. If it was an email, early on, if it was an email to tech support, it was probably answered by me. So <laughs> I was doing sales and tech support. Well, that's because you have to let the engineering guys do the engineering, which is a 24-hour task. <laughs> Somebody's got to write, the code's not going to write itself. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, going forward, you, you're um, you're retiring the old MyOnSIP app. Yep. On is is the the new hotness to borrow a term. Uh, and um, is there a, is there a, a path for this going forward? Do you have some some hints at what what might extend what's there? I mean, clearly Slack is is a, an integration path, and Slack opens other opportunities, I suppose. Um, right. But I don't know. Got an imagination, imaginative take on what might be. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I've got my own wish list. Uh, whether engineering decides to listen to that, you know, that's uh, that's uh, a whole other that's a whole other question. Um, a, a little say in in what we do, but uh, but not a lot. Um, it's uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's you're right, especially with with WebRTC and a, and a web based app and these integrations. The the thing I'm most excited about is actually that the fact that all of this is written on top of the the SIP.js uh, JavaScript stack. And our own APIs. Um, so the parts that I'm I'm most excited about is what some of our customers are are doing with those. And those are the you know. So it's 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 nice and it's fun and it's interesting to see what what you know what we're doing and, and moving forward with. But I I'm really interested in uh, watching what some of our customers do with these interfaces. Um, uh, one of our, our big ones is a company called Live Ninja, and they do—they've uh, done a WebRTC integration for retail, 
and uh, they put kiosks in retail locations. You know, retail locations where you'll have the the Verizon kiosk, and you'll have the Verizon expert in in some big, big, large box uh, electronics store. Um, so instead of having a rep at every one of the stores, you'll have a kiosk, and you'll have a couple reps that are connected uh, via WebRTC and VoIP uh, to a kind of a, a call center location. And you you walk over, you have some questions about uh, the Verizon uh, display there. You can talk to that uh, specialist over over video right there. Um, it's kind of the Amazon Fire tablet kind of approach to things, isn't it? It's sort of like yeah, it is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So, uh, which is exciting. There's some some very uh, so who haven't launched yet, but are are doing some cool in in game uh, uh, voice video interactions, uh, both with other people and with the game itself. Um, those are those are fun. You know, those are the types of things that we would never you know go and and develop ourselves and and get into. But it's a uh, it's interesting that they're putting that on top of our. So, so, so the the answer was it was two thousand and eight. I was out by a decade. <laughs> Which so here's a, a a sort of a secondary or tertiary question. Some of this is not selling your service. Some of this is selling APIs, and it's selling to a different audience. I think. Yeah. One of the earlier visits, you were just sort of about to hit hit the road, some of your people, and do some trade shows and promote APIs as opposed to hosted PBX. Had there been any significant lessons down that path? I mean, it's a different market entirely, right? I mean, what's yeah. what's the takeaway from because you've been successful clearly, uh, at least to a degree? Uh, any memorable right. thing? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's really, <laughs> yeah. The lesson is it's really hard. Um, yeah, because right, because we're we're selling to small and medium businesses. We're we're selling a real time communication, uh, you know, voice, video, voicemail. Um, ACD queues, conference uh, conference suites, you know, the, the that whole, you know, throw out your old phone system and bring in ONSIP. Um, and that's on one side. And then on the other side, we've got these really amazing developers doing really amazing things. Uh, but it's a whole different billing infrastructure. It's a whole different support infrastructure. It's a whole different provisioning infrastructure. Uh, that's It's a lot of work. Um, it's it's amazing what John again John Reardon has done. Every uh, you know when you look at a lot of service providers, the API is kind of a bolt on on the side. Maybe you can do some bulk, uh, maybe add users or 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 something, some sort of bulk functionality with the API. But for John, he mandated that everything that we do, everything that you see in the in the admin portal, everything in the uh, uh, OnSIP app is all written on top of our own API. So we treat ourselves as if we are an API customer. Uh, so there's no, you know, there are no shortcuts. Um, and now that helps us in the in the long run. We can swap things out behind the scenes and and don't have to do don't have to touch the interface. But yeah, the initial development you're developing at the interface layer. You're developing it at the whole back end. Um, but uh, yeah, the the lesson is that we've we've been able to get some some API customers, and it's great having that functionality. But it's really hard to it, it, still being a bootstrap company, which we are. So we've never taken VC funds. Uh, we, you know, we take the money that we get and we put it back into the back into the company, either developers or sales or, or whatnot. Um, and as, 
you know, owners of the company, the best thing we can do is be good investors. So how do we, we take this dollar, the dollar that we earned and, and where do we invest it over here? Uh, uh, it, it's been, it, it's been tough to really break into that API market in a Twilio tropo kind of way. Um, so that's, that's, that's probably our biggest takeaway. Yeah. You have, um, uh, I've been for other reasons thinking about this and, uh, and, the, the big difference is you have an established, I guess you have an established infrastructure. There's a certain amount of, when you talk about APIs, is how much are you rolling your own up against mm-hmm. somebody's API versus how much is the service they're making accessible by their API, a fait accompli that you're just tapping into. And a lot of it, I think, is in the Twilio market space. And, and I may be speaking out of term, Tim and James, feel free to correct me. Um, well, uh, Michael, I don't want to correct you, but I want to point out you've gone all Cylon. Oh, I have. Oh, I'm so glad that's not on my end, because I have a question. I registered it on IRC a couple of minutes ago. Mike, do you oh, wanna, my- did you hear that well enough to answer it? Uh, to um, to hear Michael's yeah, question? Yeah, did you hear his question? Because it was uh, a little packet-wise. I think the answer is no. <laughs> okay, Mike, uh, I'll ask my question when Michael comes back. You know, okay. All these microphones, Mike, Michael, and he's back. Uh, Michael, uh, you want to re-ask your question, or I have a question as well? I can ask it after you. Go ahead and repeat it, Michael. Well, I think I think the um, the thing that was was occurring to me is is that um, developers who are looking at using leveraging some service, whether it's a Twilio or a twenty six hundred hertz or whomever, right? I mean, right. to what degree are you accessing a tool set versus uh-huh. accessing a finished service that that is, you know, you do this call setup, you you don't have to you don't have to use an ele- it's kind of like am I this is a library, but how much do I have to DIY even though I'm using that library, right? And and I exactly. think in the API world, there's a sort of a, it's not clear to people what they take on board as their responsibility versus what the service mm-hmm. provides. So right, I've right. been thinking about this a lot, but I'm not a developer. That's why I'm open to being corrected. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because we, we actually have really three different APIs. So one is SIP.js. And you can use that completely independently of OnSIP. Uh, Ring Central. Ring Central uses SIP.js as their WebRTC platform. And all the, the service provider behind that is Ring Central. Fantastic. Love it. Um, so that's an, you know, that's an API with with calls with, with no service attached to it at all. And then we have our our uh, call setup and teardown API that uh, is native and, and part of our system. And then we've got our admin API. And so the admin API allows you to create users and, and name them and give them an extension. All the things that you would do through the admin portal, uh, you can do through our admin API. And that's directly connected to our service. And I would say that's more like what we're talking about. It's a, it's a finished service. You're using the API to more automate things that are that are already done as opposed to modify things that are done. The call setup and teardown API is really more of a, uh, you're, you're trying to build something there. So you've got a database and you, you want out of this database for calls to go and get set up and sent down to this SIP address over there and then tear down that call and put the entry into the database that that call happened and how long that call was and, and so forth. And we use that API for our Salesforce integration to do exactly that. Set up a call, find that uh, find the record of that user, put the action in that a call happened uh, at the end of the call, put the duration of the call into that record, uh, and then tear down the call at the end. 
Um, and then versus our sip.js, which, which has no real connection to us at all. So, uh, yeah, so we, you know, I, uh, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about I- exactly that as well and, and how people interact with an API and what they're, what they're hoping to do with it, what they do with it. Uh, yeah, things like that. So it, it's a very, very interesting, you know, interact with, a, with something that already exists, or if you are, you know, trying to, you know, trying to build something all together. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's cool. All right. I am, uh, I'm going to leave an, leave a gap here for, uh... <laughs> I have a question. Hello. Oh, oh, uh, all kidding aside, we are up against the hour. And before we give any contact information or any, any of those things, um, Mike Oath, I have to say the full name. So there's cut the confusion. Uh, you've been around for a long time as have many of us. So you've been through the iterations of the uh, Grand Stream Cheapo 101 and all that. You've seen all these devices. You've seen all the SIP phones. Now we're looking at WebRTC clients and APIs. The question you may not have expected is, Uh-oh. whenever I'm anywhere, I look at my watch because I get an SMS from my wife and people go, oh, you have a connected watch? You have an Apple watch? I go, well, no. first of all, it's not an Apple watch because I am not going to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on that. But they're all intrigued by it. And the relationship to my question is we've seen all these different devices and now even I who am very skeptical of these wearables uh, am actually getting a lot of benefit out of it and I was wondering if you either within the the onsip vision or even in your own personal vision uh, what yeah. you see for what we have now and what right. what is coming I mean are there going to be like medical applications where onsip will be involved or just uh, me talking to my wife, and we both have the OnSIP service, which I actually do have both free and paid. Uh, what what do you see with the future of devices and OnSIP? If yeah. it, if there's if that's a fair question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I I I love the kind of future looking looking forward questions. Uh, we we have an ambulance company right now that uh, has a WebRTC connection to the ER, so when they're they are in the ambulance. They can see real-time video. The ER doc can stand there, and she can see into the ambulance uh, and and see real-time video as they're approaching the uh, the hospital. So, uh, we're so there there are these applications today, and people are are already seeing that and and making that happen. Um, it's it, it's it's super interesting. Uh, me personally, I just ordered the new uh, Fitbit HR2. Um, I have the it's charging where here it is. So I've got the I've got the Fitbit one, but I also wear analog. Um, have uh, I have an Apple Watch, and I just wasn't getting the utility out of it. I was charging it every day, and I'm like, you know, I just for the most part, I just want to see what time it is, and so I've I've kind of gone back to an analog watch. Um, but the for the Fitbit, um, I, I, I like the fitness, uh, the the steps and and the calories. Um, there you go. Yeah. But what I really James, love, James is showing the Fitbit that I sent him because I got tired uh, of it. Uh, I actually just to make sure that everybody understands, I never would have bought this watch. It's an Android watch. It's one of the early ones. I won it in a contest, but it is useful for these few things. And yeah. uh, Mike, what you said about the ambulance, that's interesting uh, because I can just picture the uh, not that arm. Put the needle in the other, or too high. I don't know. No, that's that's a beautiful example, though, of of, of usability of uh, of a technology. And what we need to do is is get good uses like that of these technologies 
and stop worrying about posting on social media as the only, you know, that's the big thing that we're doing with technology. And WebRTC, right. I, I saw while I was in the States, I haven't seen this much in Europe, but in the States, I was surprised to see a lot of people using either FaceTime or something like it on their phones. Uh, yep. I, was, I was in a doctor's office in a waiting room that had uh, windows. And when the person went out to make a call, and I could clearly see she was talking to somebody on a, a video call, which was just yeah. a friend, obviously. So it wasn't some yeah. you know, conference. Anyway, these things are are moving right along and, and you folks are following the technology. And I think that's fantastic. Let me do one last thing. Cause we're, as I said, we're getting to the hour here and that is Mike, um, how, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you as far as either for feedback, research with yeah. you, you know, con- contribution, any of that thing, Great. any of those things. Great. Two, the, the two best ways, one, uh, a direct email and it's a KE Mike at on onsip.com. That's easy. And then uh, Twitter, VoIP CEO, V-O-I-P CEO. I got a, I got a good one. I got, I got that I, one early. I love that you got that. I didn't know you had that. I was just saying on Twitter, yeah. I said, look at this guy. Here he is. He's got that. <laughs> He's got the handle. All right, Michael, thank <laughs> you. And you're going to, you need to send a John over one of these days also to do a, a, heap, a hyper geeky session uh, when, yeah. when that's called for, because he's done a couple of those for us. And they've been great too. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mike, and thanks for your support over the years. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our host at PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.